0: Chapter Two of An Amiable Charlatan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Amiable Charlatan by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Chapter Two: The Coup in the Gambling Den. On seeing us, the girl advanced into the room. I called Mr. Parker's attention to her, and he rose at once to his feet. It was a cold evening in April, and she was wearing a long coat trimmed with some dark-colored fur, and a hat also trimmed with fur, but with something blue in it. She was rather tall. She had masses of dark brown hair, a suspicion of a fringe, and deep blue eyes. She came towards us very deliberately. With the same grace of movement I had watched and admired night after night. She gave me a glance of the slightest possible curiosity as she approached. Then her father introduced us. "'This is Paul Walmsley, my dear,' he said. "'My daughter. Have you dined, Eve?' She shook hands with me and smiled very charmingly. "'Hours ago,' she replied. "'I didn't mean to come out this evening, "'but I was so bored that I thought I would try and find you.' She accepted the chair I was holding and unbuttoned her cloak. And you will have some coffee?' I begged." "'Why, that would be delightful,' she agreed. "'I am so glad to find you with my father, Mr. Walmsley," she continued. "'I know he hates dining alone, but this evening I had an appointment with the dressmaker quite late, and I didn't feel a bit like dinner anyhow.' "'You come here very often, don't you?' I ventured. "'Very often, indeed,' she replied. "'You see, it is not in the least entertaining where we are staying, and the cooking is abominable.' "'Then father adores restaurants.' "'Do tell me what you've been talking about, you two men, all the evening.' "'The truth,' Mr. Parker remarked, lighting another cigar. "'My daughter knows that I speak nothing else. "'It is a weakness of mine. "'Mr. Walmsley and I were exchanging notes as to our relative professions. "'I told him frankly that I was an adventurer and you an adventuress. "'I think by now he is beginning to believe it.' "'She laughed very softly, almost under her breath. "'Yet I fancied there was a note of mockery in her mirth.' "'Confess now that you are very much shocked, Mr. Walmsley," she said. "'Not in the least,' I assured her. She raised her eyebrows ever so slightly. "'Confess, then,' she went on. "'Confess, Mr. Walmsley, that in all your well-ordered life "'you have never heard such an admission made by two apparently respectable people before.' "'How do you know,' I asked, "'that my life has been well-ordered?' "'Look at yourself in the glass,' she begged. Scarcely knowing what I did, I turned round in my seat and obeyed her. There is, perhaps, a certain preciseness about my appearance as well as my attire. I am tall enough, well over six feet, but my complexion still retains traces of my years in Africa and of my fondness for outdoor sports. My hair is straight, and I have never grown beard or moustache. I felt somehow that I represented the things which in an Englishman are a little derided by young ladies on the other side of the water. I can't help my appearance... "'I said a little crossly. "'I can assure you that I am not a prig. "'Our young friend,' Mr. Parker intervened, "'has certainly earned his immunity from any such title. "'To tell you the truth, Eve, "'he has already been my accomplice this evening "'in a certain little matter. "'But for his help, who knows that I might not have found myself up against it? "'Between us we have even had a little fun out of Cullen.' "'Her expression changed. "'She seemed for some reason none too well pleased. "'What have you been doing?' she asked me i personally have been doing very little indeed i told her your father entered the restaurant in a hurry about an hour ago and found it convenient to seat himself at my table and help himself to my dinner he entrusted me also with a packet which i subsequently returned to him it is now mr parker declared replying to his daughter's anxious glance in perfectly safe hands she sighed and shook her head at him daddy she replied plaintively why will you run such risks Even Mr. Cullen isn't an absolute idiot, you know, and there might have been someone else watching. Mr. Parker nodded. You are quite right, my dear, he admitted. To tell you the truth, Cullen was really a little smarter than usual this evening. However, there's always the luck, you know, our luck. If Mr. Walmsley had turned out a different sort of man... But then I knew he wouldn't. She turned her head and looked at me. She had a trick of contracting the corners of her eyes just a little, which was absolutely bewitching. "'Will you tell me why you helped my father in this way, Mr. Walmsley?' "'I returned her regard steadfastly. "'It never occurred to me,' I said, "'to do anything else, after I had recognized him.' "'She smiled a little. "'My speech was obviously sincere. "'I think from that moment she began to realize "'why I had occupied the little table "'opposite the one where she so often sat "'with such unfailing regularity. "'What about a music hall?' Mr. Parker suggested.' i hear there's a good show on right across the street here have you any engagement for this evening mr walmsley not at all i hastened to assure him we left the place together a few minutes later and found a vacant box at Trivoli. arrived there however mr parker soon became restless he kept on seeing friends in the auditorium we watched him with his hat a little on the back of his head going about shaking hands in various directions how long have you been in england i asked my companion barely two months she replied do look at father. Wherever he goes, it's the same. The one recreation of his life is making friends. The people he is speaking to tonight he has probably come across in a railroad train or an American bar. He makes lifelong friendships every time he drinks a cocktail, and he never forgets a face. Isn't that a little trying for you? I asked. She laughed outright. If you could only see some of the people he brings up and introduces to me. We talked for some time upon quite ordinary subjects as the time passed however and her father did not return it seemed to me she became more silent she told me very little about herself and the few personal things she said were always restrained i was beginning to feel almost discouraged she sat so long with a slight frown upon her forehead and her head turned away from me miss parker i ventured at last something seems to have displeased you it has she admitted will you please tell me what it is i asked humbly If I have said or done anything clumsy, give me a chance, at any rate, to let you see how sorry I am. She turned and faced me then. It is not your fault, she assured me, only I am a little annoyed with my father. Why? I think, she went on, it is perfectly delightful that he should have made your acquaintance. It isn't that at all. But I do not think he should have made use of you in the way he did. He is utterly reckless sometimes and forgets what he is doing. It is all very well for himself, but he has no right to expose you to... To... To what risk did he expose me? I demanded. Tell me, Miss Parker, was he absolutely honest when he told me he was an adventurer? Absolutely. Was I, then, an accomplice to anything illegal tonight? Worse than illegal. Criminal, she told me. Now, my father had been a judge, and I had a brother who was a barrister. But the madness was upon me, and I spoke quickly and convincingly then all i have to say about it is that i am glad i declared why she murmured looking at me wonderingly because he is your father and i have helped him i answered under my breath for a few moments she was silent she looked at me however and as i watched her eyes grow softer i suddenly held out my hand and for a moment she suffered hers to rest in it then she drew away a little she was still looking at me steadfastly but something that had seemed to me inimical had gone from her expression "'Mr. Walmsley,' she said slowly, "'I want to tell you I think you are making a mistake. "'Please listen to me carefully. "'You do not belong to the order of people "'from whom the adventurers of the world are drawn. "'What you are is written in your face. "'I am perfectly certain you possess the ordinary conventional ideas "'as to right and wrong, "'the ideas in which you have been brought up "'and which have been instilled in you all your life. "'My father and I belong to a different class of society.' there is nothing to be gained for you by mixing with us and a great deal to be lost may i not judge for myself i asked i fear she answered looking me full in the face and smiling at me delightfully you are just a little prejudiced supposing i whispered i have discovered something that seems to me better worth living for than anything else i have yet found in the world i know of if that something belongs to a world in which i have not yet lived do you blame me "'if, for the sake of it, I would be willing to climb down, even into. "'She held out her finger warningly. "'I heard heavy footsteps outside, and the rattle of the door-handle. "'You are very foolish,' she murmured. "'Please let my father in.' "'Mr. Parker returned in high good humor. "'He had met a host of acquaintances, and declared that he had not had a dull moment. "'As for the performance, he seemed to have forgotten there was one going on at all. "'I am for supper,' he suggested. "'I owe our friend here a supper in return for his interrupted dinner.' "'Supper, by all means,' I agreed. "'Remember that I am wearing a hat,' Eve said. "'We must go to one of the smaller places.' "'In the end, we went back to Stefano's. "'We sat at the table at which I had so often watched Eve and her father sitting alone, "'and by her side I listened to the music I had so often heard while I had watched her, "'from what it had seemed to me to be an impossible distance. "'Mr. Parker talked wonderfully. "'He spoke of gigantic financial deals in Wall Street, "'of operations which had altered the policy of nations.' of great robberies in new york the details of which he discussed with amazing technical knowledge he played tricks with the knives and forks balanced the glasses in extraordinary fashion and reduced our waiters to a state of numbed and amazed incapacity every person who entered he seemed to have some slight acquaintance with all the time he was acknowledging and returning greetings and all the time he talked we spoke finally of gambling and he laughed heartily when i made mild fun of the gambling scare which was just then being written up in all the papers and magazines so you don't believe in baccarat tables in london he said very good we shall see after we have supped we shall see we stayed until long past closing time mr parker continued in the highest good humour but eve was subject at time to moods of either indifference or depression the more intimate note which had once or twice crept into our conversation she seemed now inclined to deprecate she avoided meeting my eyes more than once she glanced towards the clock haven't you an appointment tonight father she asked almost in an undertone sure mr parker answered readily i have an appointment and i am going to take you and mr walmsley along i am delighted to hear it i exclaimed quickly i'll teach you to make fun of the newspapers mr parker went on no gambling hells in london eh well we shall see to my great relief eve made no spoken objection to my inclusion in the party when at last we left a large and handsome motor-car was drawn up outside waiting for us A taxicab, Mr. Parker explained, is of no use to me. Of no more use than a hansom cab. I have to keep a car in order to slip about quietly. Now, in what part of London shall we look for a gambling hell, Mr. Walmsley? I know of eleven. Name your own street, somewhere in the West End. I named one at random. The very place, Mr. Parker declared. The very place where I have already an appointment. Get in. Say, you Londoners have no idea what goes on in your own city. We drove to a quiet street not very far from the Brits Hotel. Mr. Parker led us across the pavement, and we entered a block of flats. The entrance hall was dimly lit, and there seemed to be no one about. Mr. Parker, however, rang for a lift, which came promptly down. "'You two will stay here,' he directed, "'for two or three minutes. "'Then the lift will come down for you.' He ascended and left us there. I turned at once to Eve, who had scarcely spoken a word during the drive from the restaurant i do wish you would tell me what is troubling you miss parker i begged if i am really in the way of course you have only to say the word and i'll be off at once she held my arm for a moment the touch of her fingers gave me unreasonable pleasure please don't think me rude or unkind she pleaded don't even think that i don't like you coming along with us because i do it isn't that only as i told my father before supper you don't belong you ought not to be seen at these places and with us "'For some absurd reason, father seems to have taken a fancy to you. "'It isn't a very good thing for you. "'It very likely won't be a good thing for us.' "'Do please change your opinion of me a little,' I implored her. "'I can't help my appearance, but let me assure you "'I am willing to play the bohemian to any extent so long as I can be with you. "'There isn't a thing in your life I wouldn't be content to share,' I ventured to add. "'She sighed a little petulantly. "'She was half convinced, but against her will.' you are very obstinate she declared but of course you're rather nice after that i was ready for anything that might happen the lift had descended and the porter bade us enter we stopped at the third floor in the open doorway of one of the flats mr parker was standing solid and imposing he beckoned us with a broad smile to follow him to my surprise there were no locked doors or burly doorkeepers we hung up our things in the hall and passed into a long room in which were some fifteen or twenty people Most of them were sitting around a chemin de fer table. A few were standing at the sideboard eating sandwiches. A dark-haired, dark-eyed, sallow-faced man, a trifle corpulent, undeniably semitic, who seemed to be in charge of the place, came up and shook hands with Mr. Parker. "'Glad to see you, sir, and your daughter,' he said, glancing keenly at them both, and then at me. "'This gentleman is a friend of yours?' "'Certainly,' Mr. Parker replied. "'I won't introduce you, but I'll answer for him. You would like to play?' "'I will play, certainly,' Mr. Parker answered cheerfully. "'My friend will watch, for the present, at any rate.' He waved us away, himself taking a seat at the table. I led Eve to a divan at the farthest corner of the room. We sat there and watched the people. There were many whose faces I knew, a sprinkling of stockbrokers, one or two actresses, and a half-dozen or so men about town of a dubious type. On the whole the company was scarcely reputable. I looked at Eve and sighed. "'Well, what is it?' she asked. "'This is no sort of a place for you, you know. I ventured. "'Here it comes,' she laughed, "'the real, hidebound, respectable Englishman. "'I tell you I like it. "'I like the life. "'I like the light and the shade of it all. "'I should hate your stiff English country houses, "'your highly moral amusements, "'and your dull day-to-day life. "'Look at those people's faces as they bend over the table.' "'Well, I am looking at them,' I told her. "'I see nothing but greed.' i see no face that has not already lost a great part of its attractiveness perhaps she replied indifferently i will grant you that greed is the keynote of this place yet even that has its interesting side where else would you see it so developed where else could you see the same emotion actualizing a number of very different people in an altogether different manner for an adventuress? i remarked you seem to notice things no one in the world except those who live by adventures Ever has much inducement to notice things, she retorted. That is why amateurs are such failures. One never does anything so well as when one does it for one's living. The question is arguable, I submitted. She shrugged her shoulders. Every question is arguable if it is worth while, she agreed carelessly. Look at all those people coming in. I don't understand it, I confessed. These places are against the law, yet there seems to be no concealment at all. Why aren't we rated? Raids in this part of London only take place by arrangement, she assured me. This place will reach its due date sometime, but everyone will know all about it beforehand. They are making a clear profit here of about four hundred pounds a night, and it has been running for two months now. When the rate comes, Mr. Rubenstein, I think that is his name, can pay his five hundred pound fine and move on somewhere else. It's wicked. The money they can make here some nights. You seem to know a good deal about it, I remarked. The place interests father, she told me. He comes here often. And you? Sometimes. I am not always in the humor. I looked at her long and thoughtfully. Her beauty was entirely the beauty of a young girl. There were no signs of late hours or anxiety in her face. She puzzled me more than ever. I wish I knew, I said, exactly what you mean when you call yourself an adventuress. She laughed. It means this, she explained. Tonight I have money in my purse, jewels on my fingers, a motor car to ride home in in a week's time if things went badly with us i might have nothing then father or i or both of us would go out into the world to replenish and from whomever had most of what we desired we should take as opportunity presented itself irrespective of the law absolutely irrespective of your sense of right and wrong my sense of right and wrong according to your standards does not exist i gave it up she seemed thoroughly in earnest "'and yet every word she spoke seemed contrary to my instinctive judgment of her.' "'She pointed to the table. "'Look!' she whispered. "'Those people don't seem as though they had all the money to gamble with, do they? "'Look! "'There must be at least a thousand or fifteen hundred pounds upon the table.' "'It was just as she said these words that the thing happened. "'From somewhere along the little crowd of people gathered round the table "'there came the sound of heavy stamping on the floor, "'and in less than a moment every light in the room went out. "'The place was in somber darkness.' then breaking the momentary silence there came from outside a shrill whistle again there was a silence then pandemonium in a dozen different keys one heard the same shout the police eve gripped my arm my match-box was out in a moment and i struck a match holding it high over my head as it burned a queer little halo of light seemed thrown over the table the door was wide open and blocked with people rushing out the banker was still sitting in his place at first i seemed to have an idea that mr parker was by his side then to my astonishment I saw him at the opposite end of the table, standing as though he had appeared from nowhere. A stentorian voice was heard from outside. "'Ladies and gentlemen, if you please, nothing has happened. The lights will be on again immediately.' Almost as he spoke, the place was flooded with light. The faces of the people were ghastly. A babble of voices arose. "'Where are the police? Where are they? Who said the police?' The little dark man, whose name was Rubenstein, stood upon a chair. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' he called out, "'nothing whatever has happened, nothing.' the electric lights went out owing to an accident which i will investigate it seems to have been a practical joke on the part of the lift man who has disappeared there are no police here please take your places the game will proceed they came back a little reluctantly as though still afraid then suddenly the banker's hoarse voice rang out through the room all the time he had been sitting like an automaton now he was on his feet swaying backwards and forwards his eyes almost starting from his head lock the doors the bank has been robbed the notes are gone mr Rubenstein. don't let anyone go out i tell you there was two thousand pounds upon the table someone has the notes there was a little murmur of voices and a shriek from one of the women as she clutched her handbag mr parker bland and benign rose to his feet my own stake has disappeared he declared and the pile of notes i distinctly saw in front of the banker has gone i fear mr rubinstein there is a thief among us Mr. Rubenstein, white as a sheet, was standing at the door. He locked it and put the key in his pocket. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' he said, "'play is over for tonight. We are, without a doubt, the victims of an attempted robbery. The lights were turned out from the controlling switch by the lift man who has disappeared. I will ask you to leave the room one by one, and for all our sakes I beg that any unknown to us will submit themselves to be searched.' There was a little angry murmur. Mr. Rubenstein looked pleadingly around. Ladies and gentlemen, he begged, you will not object, I am sure. I am a poor man. Two thousand pounds of my money has gone from that table, all the money I kept in reserve to make a bank for you. If any one will return it now, nothing shall be said. But to lose it all, I tell you, it would ruin me. The perspiration stood out on his forehead. He looked anxiously round, as though seeking for sympathy. Mr. Parker came over to his side. Say, Rubenstein, he declared there isn't anyone here who wants you to lose a five-pound note that's a sure thing but there is just one difficulty about this searching business how can you identify your notes if i for instance were to insist that i had brought with me two thousand pounds in bank notes in my pocket which let me hasten to assure you i didn't how could you deny it my notes mr Rubenstein replied feverishly all bear the stamp of lloyd's bank and to-day's date they can all be recognized in that case mr parker continued I recommend you, Mr. Rubenstein, to insist upon searching every person here not thoroughly known to you. And I recommend you, ladies and gentlemen, he added, looking round, to submit to being searched. It will not be a very strenuous affair, because no one can have had time to conceal the notes very effectively. I think you will all agree with me that we cannot allow our friend, who has provided us with amusement for so many nights, to run the risk of a loss like this. Begin with me, Mr. Rubenstein. No, I insist upon it, you know me better than most of your clients, I think, but I submit myself voluntarily to be searched. "'I thank you very much, sir,' Mr. Rubenstein declared quickly. "'It is very good of you to set the example.' He continued, thrusting his hand in Mr. Parker's pockets. "'Ah, I see nothing here. Nothing. "'Notes in this pocket. Ten, twenty, thirty. "'Not mine, I see. No Lloyd's stamp. Gold. "'A pleasant little handful of gold, that, Mr. Parker. "'I thank you, sir. "'If you will be so good as to pass into the next room—' I brought Eve up. We were recognized as having been sitting upon the divan, and Mr. Rubenstein, with a bow and extended hand, motioned us to pass on. You will visit again, I trust, he said, when we are not so disturbed? Most certainly, Mr. Parker promised in our names. Most certainly, Mr. Rubenstein. We will all come again. Good night. We walked out to the landing, and descending the stairs reached the street and stepped into the motor-car that was waiting for us. It rolled off and turned into Piccadilly. How much was it, father? Eve asked suddenly, from her place in the corner. I'm not sure, Mr. Parker answered. There is a matter of eight hundred pounds in my right shoe, and a little more than that, I think, in my left. The note down my back was, I believe, a hundred-pound one. Quite a pleasant little evening, and fairly remunerative. The lift man will cost me a hundred, but he was worth it. I sat quite still. I felt that Eve's eyes were watching me. I set my teeth for a moment, and I turned towards her, my cigarette case in my hand. You don't mind, I murmured, as I lit a cigarette. She shook her head. Her eyes were still fixed upon me. Where can we drop you? Mr. Parker inquired. If the evening is really over, and there are no more excitements to come, you might put me down at the Milan court, I told him. If that is anywhere on your way. Mr. Parker lifted the speaking tube to his lips and gave an order. We glided up to the Milan a few minutes later. I have enjoyed my evening immensely, I assured Eve impressively. Every moment of it. AND I DO HOPE, MR. PARKER, I ADDED AS WE SHOOK HANDS, THAT YOU AND YOUR DAUGHTER WILL GIVE ME THE GREAT PLEASURE OF DINING WITH ME ANY NIGHT THIS WEEK. IF THERE ARE ANY OTHER LITTLE ADVENTURES ABOUT HERE IN WHICH I COULD TAKE A HAND, I ASSURE YOU I WOULD BE DELIGHTED. I MIGHT EVEN BE OF SOME ASSISTANCE. THEY BOTH OF THEM LOOKED AT ME steadfastly. THEN EVE AT LAST GLANCED AWAY WITH A LITTLE SHRUG OF THE SHOULDERS, AND JOSEPH H. PARKER GRIPPED MY HAND. SAY, YOU'RE ALL RIGHT, HE PRONOUNCED. You just ring up 3771A, Gerard, tomorrow morning between 10 and 11. End of chapter 2. Recording by Todd.